Welcome back to another edition of New Mexico Rising. We're going to be talking with Blair Dunn, father, husband, attorney, and gladiator. He's basically been the thorn in the side of the New Mexico judiciary for as long as I've known him. And we're going to talk about his efforts in that, as well as his assault on the vaccine and COVID tyranny that we've been experiencing for the last 18 months. Let's get started. Today on New Mexico Rising, we're going to be having a conversation with Aubrey Blair Dunn. Mr. Dunn is a fourth-generation New Mexican who comes from a long line of political activism and public service. He obtained a bachelor's degree in geology at New Mexico State University before going on to graduate law school at the University of New Mexico. As an attorney with Western Agriculture Resource and Business Advocates, Mr. Dunn has worked tirelessly to assist farmers, ranchers, businesses, as well as everyday New Mexicans in defending their rights. His most recent work is a class action lawsuit which was filed on the 19th of August in which he's currently representing two New Mexicans who are seeking injunctive relief in regards to Michelle Lujan Grisham's vaccine mandates. We'll be discussing the finer points of his recent legal work, the constitutional implications of these COVID mandates, and his thoughts on the current political landscape in both New Mexico and the rest of the United States of America. But before we get into that, it does appear as though the governor has won and the Backstreet Grill has finally been forced to shut its doors to the public. Thad, what is going on there? Well, pour a little while for Backstreet Grill. A judge orders Backstreet Grill to close. And today, if you guys are happen to be in the Albuquerque metro area, is the last day that this establishment will be open. So pour, go out there, give them some support. Uh, you know, they fought the good fight. Um, they tried to be ungovernable, but ultimately um, they ran into the buzzsaw that is the state. Um, so, yeah, they were basically just kind of ordered to close and, you know, that order was issued, if I'm not mistaken, I think the third. And yeah, they just, all right, cease and desist. I mean, they were probably even going to get their electricity turned off. So after putting up a pretty valiant effort for the last year, uh, they're they're done. And it was so, my understanding today is their last day? Today is the fifth, right? Yeah. Yes, today is their last day. Which is somewhat disappointing because I did want to get down there and, you know, give them some support for everything they did. I mean, it was it was certainly not an easy task to take yeah. that stand. Um, not an easy I, task. I mean, ultimately, because not a legal method, not a legal way of doing so. However, comma, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. And the arguments that have been given over the last months by, you know, be it state attorneys or, uh, you know, district attorneys and local municipalities that basically have wanted to enforce this by just sheer will. 
have been pretty preposterous. Even the judges kind of ruling as to whether or not like, well, I mean, you know, you know, you can't go after that. It's kind of reasonable to do this because it's a public health emergency and stuff like that. You've you've eliminated probably tens of jobs. Just they're, they're gone. They're over. On top of the other jobs you've completely eliminated. Uh, Mr. Godorva is probably going to, you know, pack up uh, and uh, do like he told us on he was on the kind of one of our inaugural shows and just his head on on Florida, um, leave this place and basically continue to make us um, a very difficult place to do business going forward. Um, so it's unfortunate. It was a uh, pretty decent food, great atmosphere, nice location. I don't really even get to old town because, you know, I'm all the way mm -hmm. down here in the cultural Mecca that is Valencia County and Los Lunas. So I don't get up to this, to the city much. But um, it was it was a great place and uh, they will be missed. And hopefully um, this is a wake up call to some people to either stiffen their spine a little bit more or unfortunately, a lot of people were just going to acquiesce and we're just going to have to just deal with this. Well, and I think that's you know something of note is that a lot of people continue to leave New Mexico because of these public health orders. They are going to places that they feel more aligned with um their viewpoints and 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 that's all fine and good you know from my perspective it is somewhat disappointing to see people leave because i do believe that new mexico is worth fighting for and it's where, it's where i stay i mean it's where i stayed i could have gone numerous places after getting out of the military um you know and but i chose to come here because of one family but two i i generally did enjoy my stint here in the late 90s and obviously so much so that i i acquired a family and uh to come here and basically you know put down you know, plant my flag here in the state as a transplant from the east uh yeah it's disappointing to see how things have kind of sucked now i mean we've gone from gary johnson to michelle lujan grisham and for those who don't know how much of a precipitous fall that's been just look at our stats yeah, I mean, the statistics don't lie, and I'm sure we'll dig into a bit of that. I mean, speaking of people, though, who haven't run off on this state, um, let's go ahead and bring on our guest. Mr. Dunn, how are you doing today? Gentlemen, I'm doing well, uh, as well as can be expected in this communist uh, uh, state that we live in. But yeah, other than uh, the government, everything's great. Yeah, it is. it is pretty fantastic. So it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day here. Great monsoon. Um, you, on the other hand, have been the gladiator who I've known you to be, the rabble rouser who I've known you to be. Um, so you are uh, involved in some litigation against the government um, in the sense, uh, if I'm reading correctly, um, you basically did a lawsuit uh, that sought compensation for damages resulting from the public health orders. Um, and of course, there were rulings associated with that. Um, I mean, what's the current status of these cases, uh, particularly since you know, the, you know, we're uh, we're ultimately you're ultimately waiting for the Supreme Court, I guess, to hear them up. I don't think they're going to hear them anytime soon, and I, I fear. I mean, what is the status of just the litigation that you brought against the state here in the last year? So, so the last one we just filed in August was the. If you count them individually, was the 28th case we brought related to public health orders from COVID. Um, 
the, one of, some of the first ones we brought was there's 20, 24 of the ones that dealt with taking. And so those are the ones we brought on behalf of businesses to say that the shutdown orders are essentially the government imposing a negative servitude on the businesses and saying that if by closing that the government is responsible for taking over that business. Um, there's actually a really good recent Supreme Court case that came out just after the New Mexico Supreme Court ruled against me on the writ and said that we couldn't go forward with those cases, that even though it was a taking because they were using their police power, that it was non-compensable and the government could do whatever they wanted to these businesses. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court came out in a decision, uh, Cedar Point Nursery, and said that, uh, no, if the government comes in, in this case it was in California, and requires, in that instance, to allow union workers onto the property one hour or one day a month, every month of the year, a certain number of days a year, that that was imposing on the public or on the private property right to exclude people from your property or to invite people to your property. The government's taking control, and they called it a taking. Um, I politely pointed out to the Supreme Court that the U.S. Supreme Court, the New Mexico Supreme Court, that the U.S. Supreme Court disagreed with them uh, right after that came out, and they were unimpressed with the U.S. Supreme Court's decision and went ahead and denied my reconsideration. So that's still open. But what it does is it sets up that on those taking cases, we're going to look at refiling those here in the near future in federal court under the Fifth Amendment. They were brought under the state constitution. So those are live. Uh, then we, we then turned and we filed lawsuits on behalf of uh, Hinkle Family Fund Center, um, one of the trampoline parks, and Cliffs Amusement Park. And that case was assigned to Judge Vasquez. We, we turned in a motion for preliminary injunction in November. Uh, the state turned in motions to dismiss. So that was requesting uh, emergency injunctive relief as well. And she has done nothing with it. It has literally sat on the judge's desk with no action since November. Um, talk about there's, there's another way to do tyranny, and that's to just simply do nothing and deny people the ability to enforce their rights. Uh, that's kind of what we're dealing with on that case. Uh, we then filed a case on behalf of fraternal orders, so the Elks, the Moose, the Eagles. Um, First Amendment implications plus the fact that they run businesses, they were being treated differently. It's an equal protection argument. Um, and that went in front of Judge Gonzalez, and uh, he's sitting on that, has been since April. So would going to the federal, federal appeals court, I guess, help? maybe move these along or did or would they require some sort of precedent that comes from the state supreme court or these other judges that are sitting on the cases to move forward at the federal level right so that's the reason we've gone to federal court and i forgot one and this is this is illustrative of the procedural kind of quagmire we're in um we had in front of judge browning we brought another one started in september of last year uh, against the public education department and michelle this was the one to say that the kids should be allowed into in-person schooling and that they were denying, especially children with, uh, with disabilities, uh, a full and appropriate education. And that Judge Browning decided that against us, had a, gave us a really good hearing. We have a really good record. That's on the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. And we're arguing that in front of the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals on the 21st of this month. So one year to date, we're gonna be in front of the Court of Appeals on that one. We expect, um, there's a decent chance that the court of the 10th circuit will get it right. Um, I can talk to you guys about why I'm not as, as optimistic as I was a, a month ago in relation to what they're trying to do to us as attorneys, as far as vaccination. 
but um, that one's prepped. Well, all of these were really trying to head towards the Supreme Court, right? So that one's headed towards the Supreme Court eventually. This one that we've just filed, um, my biggest fear right now is that Judge Vasquez is going to do the same thing to this case she did to the Hinkle case and not sit on it. Because if she doesn't make any decision, I can't go appeal, immediately appeal, her denial of temporary relief. So they give us intermediate appeals if you've requested an injunction it's denied. But if the judge never denies it, it's really hard to get the Tenth Circuit to go ahead and do it, which is why she's sat on my other case, because that way I can't move it. Uh, she essentially just sat on it, and the Tenth Circuit can't fix it. So, Is there any sort of way to push that along, or are you really just at their mercy? We're, we're largely at, the, at a district judge's mercy. Um, and I would have thought about taking a writ against uh, against the judge up to the Tenth Circuit, but let me, you know, I, I told you I, I preluded to this. Yeah. So at the beginning of August, and I didn't even find out about it until I read a Reason Magazine article about it, like they didn't give us any notice as attorneys. The Tenth Circuit passed a rule that says you cannot get into the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals courthouse to do your arguments unless you're vaccinated. No notice whatsoever. So I, they told us if we want to go argue in person, I've got to get vaccinated. So, look, I, but, but they forgot to tell anybody they made this new rule. So by failing to tell anybody that they made this new rule, it gave us all an opportunity to turn around and kind of complain a little bit. Somebody apparently complained loud enough. So now they've kicked all of our oral argument for this month back to virtual. So I'll be doing this exercise I'm doing with you guys for oral argument on that case and a couple others that I have in September. So I, I just... I guess my bottom line is, is that if the Tenth Circuit is making vaccines mandatory for attorneys, what are the odds that I'm going to get there and they're going to be really favorable to my complaining about infringing upon education or business yeah. or anything else? But I, I well, what, does that, what does that say moving forward? I mean, if they've done that, it's like almost like, well, there needs to be another lawsuit filed, but they've already ruled on it. Does that effectively just kill it? Well, so I could we've talked about that, right? Like I could sue the Tenth Circuit. Um, I could take a writ to the United States Supreme Court and say, hey, look, they're infringing upon my religious liberty. They're infringing upon all these other things that I don't want to use my reasons for not getting a, the vaccine. I could go tattle on them, essentially, to the Supreme Court. But then I got to go back and work with these judges, right? So the rest of my cases and my clients, I, I'm, I'm probably submarining their cases because those guys. OK, so let me tell you a joke. This is I, this is how I explain federal judges and pretty much all judges, um, including the, well, I, I, I'm not going to name names. Um, <laughs> do you guys know what the difference between uh, God and, the, and a judge is? Give it to us. God doesn't think he's a judge. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's probably fair a lot of the Dead. time. <laughs> right? So that's that's what we're dealing with is that I could go kick the judiciary in the shin, which I like to do, as you guys have heard. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, is I can't really do a, a, a service to my clients going forward to fix things. If I, if I start kicking the guys, I got to have deciding cases. If I start kicking them in the shins right now. I can't. Um, that's kind of the, the, the imposition that's put on my liberty just to be able to go defend other people's liberties. Yeah, that's that's quite the conundrum, you know, kind of getting back to your recent lawsuit. Um, it was a mother from Union County, Talisha Valdez and Jennifer Blackford, a nurse from Bernalillo County who works at Presbyterian Hospital in Albuquerque. 
you know, I'm curious, and we've kind of gone over what the current disposition is there slightly, but if you'd like to get into that a little deeper, I think people would find that interesting. So one of the main things I think I clear up right off the top is that everybody, the states made a big deal of saying, oh, well, now there's FDA approval for Pfizer. So this lawsuit, it's mooted out. Yeah. That was maybe this much of the lawsuit. It was really not a big component of the lawsuit. And I'm not so sure I agree that it's mooted out, right? Like on some level, this FDA approval is subject to some amount of challenge. I mean, Thad, you know this, you guys know this from your time in the, in the military. We went through this with anthrax in the early 2000s under Clinton and then under Bush. Um, there were challenges to the anthrax vaccine that they were imp- trying to impose upon the military. They lost, the government lost that fight with the soldiers. And it wasn't until there was an actual full approval. And that's what led to the change in the law that, that we have for this, this emergency youth authorization they have now. That wasn't in place before. And they came along and they did that. And they specifically built in that says if you aren't comfortable having an emergency vaccine injected into your body, you have the right to say no. That's in the law. Uh, it's in that section of the of the uh, FDCA. Um, but here's the thing. When it comes to this new full authorization for Pfizer, they are still authorized under the emergency use authorization. And the language is ambiguous. And I think that means that they know that they don't have enough to stand on for a full, full authorization. So they've gone ahead and covered it again under this emergency use authorization. That's great for the company, right? Because they can't be held liable and you can't sue them. But it's also um, enables people to stand up and say to the employer, no, I don't want this vaccine. It's still under an emergency use authorization. It's still challengeable, and I'm not comfortable with it. Um, so that's going to play out a little bit. But that was a minor component to the lawsuit. The rest of it is dealing with two big things. One is your fundamental liberty interest in your, in your, to engage in your chosen profession, which the governor's orders of state can't come along and say, you're not allowed to be a nurse anymore unless you do this. That requires due process. Mm-hmm. The other is that they can't come along, the state can't come along and interfere with an existing contract. Article 1, Section 10 of the United States Constitution says that no state shall pass a law impairing the obligation of contracts. Well, guess what? All these people have employment contracts as nurses and doctors and paramedics and congregate care workers or for detention facilities. The state can't come along through its acting through its executive who's been delegated legislative authority and impair that contract. So in regards to Ms. Valdez, I guess, uh, the fair starts here in the ninth. Uh, I'm very disappointed with the fact that I won't be able to probably attend. Um, what actions is she going to take uh, at this moment, I guess, of either going t- to the fair or not going to the fair? No, I think, so th- that's really a problem. And, and I've actually had liberal Democrats that have been like, wait, that was too much, right? You're just punishing yeah. kids at this point. Because her order came out on the 17th. Even if you'd taken your 15-year-old and gotten them the first Pfizer shot the very next day, the soonest that they could have been ready to fully to be fully, fully vaccinated and go to the fair would have been the 22nd of September. That's three days after the fair is over. There was no way, right? She just flat kicked them out. There's no no remedy like, oh, well, if you go get your vaccine, I'll let you go. There's No, you're done. You didn't have your vaccine prior to this. You don't get to participate. So what I understand is happening is I bet you there's hardly any of the junior livestock exhibitors are actually going to be at the state fair because they've set up an alternate fair down in Roswell. Senator Cliff Pirtle and some of the other legislators down there really went to work in a hurry, worked with the Chavez County Commission, the Chavez County Fair Board. And so the entire youth exhibition of animals, the livestock exhibition part of this, 
my understanding is going to be held the 14th through the 19th down in Roswell. So they just picked it up and moved it down there. And I, I think that's what you have to do. You know, I, it, when you guys let in about Mr. Cordova, I talked to him. Uh, he didn't end up pertaining me, but we did talk to him about what's going on. You know, his point about moving to Florida and I, guys, I, I don't I, I, I stay here and I fight because I can't leave. I would fight no matter what. But I can tell you, I think you're going to see more and more of this. People that can leave, I, I have trouble telling them they should stay. I mean, yeah. I'll fight to leave in because I'm strapped to the mast. I, I got to go down with the state because of different things in my life. But everybody else that can, why would you stay in this state? I don't see an, on the horizon that there's a that there's a, a chink in the in the, the totalitarian armor here. Yeah. You know, it's interesting in, in having spoken with a few other nurses that were opposing all of this, you know, that's part of the question too, in the case of Nurse Blackford. Um, I mean, it, what is her current status? Is, has she been terminated? Because all that went down on August 27th. Did Was she able to get an exemption? Is she complying with the mask mandates right now? No, just, just before, so her situation is that she's been placed on four months of administrative leave without pay and told that at the end of the four months that if she hasn't received the vaccine, they're going to deem her as voluntarily resigned. Now, figure that one out for me. <laughs> Nothing voluntary about any of that situation. Yeah, that's pretty clever language. Yeah, kind of, kind of like a, kind of like a ver verbal reprimand, written, right. a verbal but, written reprimand. But, but even, but even for lawyers, that's just like, yeah, that's that's laughable, right? Like you can't tell somebody direct or order that they're going to voluntarily resign. Right. It's not it's, voluntary at that point. That's not how that works. So and then I got I got a I got a, a note from a an MD anesthesiologist um, from Prez this morning as well, and he was saying that he's same thing they've done the same thing to him. So I, I and that's pretty consistent. Um, I've seen quite a few people say, or employers say to people that and Lanol is apparently threatening the same thing. Uh, that oh, you know, oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. If you don't take the vaccine, which we're, I'm working with the security forces guys up there, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do, but there's a, a decent chance that those guys may go on strike over this up there, which, you know, that'd be interesting. That'd shut down the labs, right? Oh, but a, good, a good majority of the work that goes on. Yes. Yeah. So they've got a collective bargaining agreement. Uh, the labs changing their workplace conditions to change this in there. It violates the collective bargaining agreement. They've got grounds to strike. And I think that's what you're going to start to see. And that's, you know, the nursing staff and the nurses, I think that's a lot of where this is going to go. Problem is, is that when you're dealing with people who are not part of a collective bargaining agreement, they're not really at a position where they can weather that storm. Their, their mm -hmm. options are pretty limited, right? Mm -hmm. And especially if you qualify for an exemption, they're pretty clever. The governor and the and the companies are pretty clever in how they've gone about this by saying, well, we'll give you these exemptions. They After a date. <laughs> right. After a date certain, right? <laughs> right. So. We give them to some people, but... We're not going to give them to others. So that's an interesting point to all of this is that I've had two people that had signed, had their medical exemption form signed by their bishop, church, right? They both took their forms in to, to uh, an urgent care clinic. This is down in Cruces. One of them was approved and one of them was not. Both of them nurses. Hmm. So you have to wonder, I think that they're going through and they're figuring out what the level of people that they can do without is, or which, which they think is a better performing employee. 
and they're letting those people have the religious exemption, but they're not letting the ones that they don't want to have have the religious exemption, and they're picking and choosing using that. And I, you know, it's going to be hard to prove, but that's a bigger component to this too that we're going to have to dig into. It's yeah. really unbelievable. Well, and part of the wider issue with that as well that I've seen, because actually a lot of uh, people that I've spoken with, they have actually obtained their exemption, um, and their exemption wasn't was approved. But the problem is, is that it still requires weekly COVID testings. And I'm sorry, I misspoke earlier in regards to Nurse Blackford, where you know I said mask mandate. What I meant was the testing mandates. And so there's this wider issue where literally all the data we're seeing shows that the vaccine prevents neither transmission or infection. So why should people who have not been vaccinated be subjected to this weekly testing when it, really it, it doesn't, there, there's nothing to suggest that they're more at risk? No, or they're creating a bigger risk. There's an, it, I, um, you know, we've all got our conspiracy theory um, <laughs> crackpot doctors that we listen to that tell us about what what about ivermectin and all I've been consistently things. right yeah, whatever <laughs> so I'll, I'll i'll throw this out there there's a guy that people should check out which is dr mercola i don't know if you guys have ever seen his stuff he he goes through and he pulls these studies he had a recent one that was dealing with this quote-unquote um, pandemic of the unvaccinated and dispelling that kind of stuff yeah. but an interesting point is they looked at and this is what's kind of scary because, you know, I have folks, I, my own family's divided when it comes to vaccinations and versus getting them or not. But there's studies out of Israel and Great Britain now that show that that hospitalizations increase in the population over 50 when they're vaccinated. So it may be actually doing more to hurt people than to help them. And it's, it's just and when we're all sitting here doing crazy stuff without any real science to back it up. And then everybody throws around science. The governor tells me her science is really good, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's all about the science. My science is better than your science, but sounds like my God is better than your God, because that's no, what it's, essentially it's, what it's turned it into. So it is the Ministry of Truth, man. It's coming. Yeah, no. I'll just it, say it. It seems like the governor's science is mostly interested in leading this state into complete economic ruin. But, you know, I just wanted to be clear about my opinion. Well, there. yeah, yes, we, we, we know. And we're very <laughs> we're very open about our opinion on this show. I'm always been the biggest advocate about, uh, you know, why we ignoring natural immunity, not looking into natural immunity and not studying, uh, you know, from at least a, a, a blood culture perspective of what that actually represents i mean there is true science computational science and actually biological science that one can apply to come up with better therapeutics right we've heard about a lot about companies creating therapeutics going into this and we and the only thing that kind of came out of this whole thing is like three um you know johnson and johnson moderna pfizer and you might hear regeneron though they're downplay that because you know anti uh, monoclonal antibodies are you know getting to be a myth and it's funny if we're finding in studies that are probably being suppressed that there's great hospitalization for people who have had or have had either a dose or fully vaccinated against the COVID-19 virus then why are we so hate have so much hatred for ivermectin vitamin d drips um uh, what is it hydroxychloroquine with azithromycin all these other treatments right it's almost like well you told these people they told you they did what you were told. They now are a little sicker than they thought they would be. However, I don't really think it's it's detrimental, right? Because as this virus mutates, it becomes less virulent and more infectious. Then why why crap all over, you know, other therapeutics and stuff like that? I just find it odd. 
they put themselves in this kind of circular logic where the, you know one therapy works and you must do it or at the very least it will mitigate these factors but when that has found to be not the case for some segment of the population you're crapping all over the other treatment options and therapeutics and treatment protocols that have proven to work right so let me let me, me. let me throw a story at you guys from court since we're talking about science so <laughs> On this case with uh, the school kids, which was Hernandez versus uh, Lujan Grisham. Um, so we went through a, a three and a half, almost full, full four days of trial on the injunction in that case in front of Judge Browning. We had Dr. Scrace up. They had um, Secretary Stewart, which was, this is, this is funny. I got him on the stand and I asked him via Zoom, well, where, are, where in the world are you today? And he wouldn't tell me. And he, oh, it's not relevant. Like, wait, wait, no, it's relevant. And I want to know, where are you? Where are you physically located? No, I'm not going to tell you that. It's not relevant. And then, of course, Holly Agadini and the governor's council starts hopping up and down, objecting. It's not relevant. He doesn't need to know where he is. He doesn't need to know where he is. Judge Browning looks over and goes, no, I think that's kind of relevant. I, he needs to answer the question. In Philadelphia. Yeah. His kid. I know I, people, people need to hear this. I don't think it got out into the press as much as it should have. His kids were going to private in-person schooling in Philadelphia while he was the Secretary of Public Education shutting down in-person schooling here in New Mexico. That is gross. Up, right? Like, I'm going to write a book about this someday if, if, if we're allowed to write books in the future. Um, <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> so, so the rest of the story is we're, we go through this whole trial and we pick Scrace apart on the stand. Uh, my associate, Jared, does a great job just, like, explaining there's really no science. Scrace says a bunch of – he uses the word science all the time and he talks about this – this modeling up at Los Alamos, but he does, he can't really explain it. He doesn't really understand it. So, so we get to the end, and Judge Browning says to Holly Agajani and the Governor's General Counsel, he goes, well, what science? You've shown me no science. This isn't a transcript. I'm not making this up. Mm-hmm. You've shown me no science. You've talked a lot about science. You've told me about this model at Los Alamos. You've told me about this model, but you've shown me no science. Where's the science? And then he ruled against us. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Not to laugh about this because it's very frustrating, but at the same time, it was a foregone conclusion. However, for some semblance of credibility, let's ask the question, right? And don't we got to move on? But don't get me started about these the damn models that came out of Los Alamos and the whole the the models that came out of really Sandia National Labs based on the science based on a science fair experiment of an eleven year old. Don't get me started on. Yeah, we'll, we'll get you started on another thing, Thad. I mean, I think, you know, you kind of alluded to it um, a little bit earlier when you talked about the approval process within the federal, uh, you know, the FDA. And, you know, Thad always rails against regulatory capture. So, you know, we look at this. I mean, Janet Woodcock was named the acting commissioner of the FDA just early this year. And prior to that, she she was a central figure responsible for their failure in dealing with the opioid ec- epidemic, which you've mentioned as well. I mean, right. that was really her baby. And now she's the one who's approved this jab. You had two top officials step down, citing a situation where the White House was meddling in their decision making. You know, let's get into this wider mess with the FDA and how this happened so quickly for this one. I mean, I know it's Operation Warp Speed and all, but... Well, so 
I, I look Ben and I are on the same page when it comes to regulatory capture. I think it's one of the biggest things in this country. I actually have other big, huge class actions going against in other industries because I think that that's we've created uh, like on some level. Like for instance, I have a case against the beef packing industry. Uh, very much there's a a correlation here, which is that you have these huge companies and then you have USDA essentially giving guidance that they rely on to then swindle the American consumer. So you guys probably might know this, but when you go buy beef at the grocery store, about, well, about 25% of the hamburger that you eat, at least 25% of the hamburger you eat now, is not from this country. Even though right there on that package that you buy, it says product of the United States. That stuff, that, that animal never breathes the breath of air that, that ended up becoming your beef. It's a complete hoax and it's propped up by USDA. So, and you have these huge billion dollar corporations that are the, that Upton Sinclair wrote about in the, in the jungle that are still existing, but now instead of, they're just completely propped up by the government. They're completely covered for by the government. And I think that when you get down to this vaccine thing, the reason that we didn't hear more about ivermectin and the other therapeutics is because they couldn't make any money on those. Mm. And so my thing is, as you look, Pfizer made 33.5 billion as of last week on the vaccine already. And we're not, they're a long ways from done. I'm working on how everybody's going to get two booster shots, this, for this, this. And then it, Pfizer's uh, CEO said that this vaccine is going to stop working in probably a few months. And they're going to have to do a whole new vaccine. Right, billions right. and billions and billions to ch- turn it on, right? And it's coming out of our taxpayer pockets to go to the government, to go to them, to pay for it. All this is, I mean, is just income redistribution. And Pfizer's gonna, Pfizer and these pharmaceutical companies know that they have a golden goose. The government gets what they want, they get to control the population, and the big companies get to put us dry until we all end up working for those big companies that are owned now by the government. Not yeah, the problem with it has always been the indemnification that they receive, right? And and, and they're not open or privy to uh, the basically the probably the litigation or at least the liability that is associated with these adverse effects, right? Which ultimately, if it even with the adverse effects that we've seen for this particular vaccine would have been negligible com- compared to of the payouts compared to like what they're making. So that right. has always been kind of a thorn in my side, right? Right. Look, I was all about Operation World Speed because I've for years seen many, many drugs sit in traction for like decades when they should have probably moved forward. And I've taken drugs in Europe or at the very least had access to drugs in Europe when I was there that were just not available in the United States. And because we have this really, the FDA is both sclerotic and in my opinion, captured from a regulatory standpoint when it comes to a lot of things. The reason, one of the reasons we don't even have competing therapeutics or use or use protocols for ivermectin, I'll say the, 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 the I word, is because the emergency use authorization that existed recently for the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccines and stuff would not be issued if there was another course of treatment. That is in the law. Right. And, and so that's that just creates the situation where I, I don't hate big pharma, but however, comma, they are given um, regulatory exclusivity and indemnification against people basically saying like, hey, I don't want to, you know, hey, I really had an adverse effect from this. Well, so uh, let's let's take it a little bit deeper. Like we all know Big Pharma, like you may not hate them. I, I kind of tend to hate them, right? Because it's on, on some level for me, it's an immoral thing that they're using the government with so little regard for what it does to 
human people. Um, but but Lano, let's go back to Lano for a minute. So Bev Duran Cash, um, big political activist in northern New Mexico. She works for the labs. She's gonna she I'm gonna help her this week with a fight because Lano said to her, not only are we gonna terminate you if you don't take the vaccine, but if you're gonna take the vaccine, you have to sign this waiver of liability that says that because we forced you to take the vaccine, you can't sue us for making you take it. Didn't OSHA give them that protection as well? There's a question on on that. I don't oh, think that okay. OSHA can actually say that you have to that that you can provide cover for a company that mm. mandates the workplace condition that ends up hurting somebody, right? So take it out of the context of vaccines for a minute, mm-hmm. right? So we're gonna pump sulfur gas through the through the vents because it helps the product that we're making have more durability or whatever right i'm just ma- making stuff up probably not scientifically but the best stuff but well science so, isn't that important we've learned that from our governor it's okay right well i can make it as nothing to do with vaccine so <laughs> sorry so, so we pump it through and we tell the workers well you have to you have to breathe the sulfur gas on a continual basis in order to keep your job but you can't sue us for us poisoning it and you have to sign this form. If you want to keep your job, you got to agree. No, we've never allowed them to do that in this country since since we had the Fair Labor Standards Act and a few uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. That has never been what we did to workers in this country. It's absolutely nuts that they think that they could get away with that. OSHA could never write a rule that would obviate that liability. The only th- and I don't think the waiver would hold up in court either. That's why I told her, I was like, well, you know, we can fight it, but I, that waiver I think I could pretty much demolish in a matter of a few motions in court. There's no way that that's what we want workers to be subject to is employers that say, I'm going to poison you and you can't do anything about it. you got to sign a waiver and let me poison you. Mm. If you want a job that you need to survive. But, you know, the yeah. world. Yeah, that is the world. I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, a lot of people like to talk about Nuremberg when they start getting really upset about this stuff. We won't take it that far. Um, but when we do look at these different issues with how this was approved, should it ever be shown very clearly, uh, that there was some sort of corruption or other nefarious work at play in its approval? Uh, what, what's the process there? Is there anything that can be done right now in your opinion that would reverse what the FDA has done? You mean short of trying Fauci as a war criminal and for atrocities against mankind and and I, I don't know that there is so as far as going after the full approval for fda there's what's called the administrative procedures act which governs federal agencies actions mm-hmm. and if this really was if we can prove and this is what we're looking at trying to figure out if we can prove that this was arbitrary and capricious this is what the military used with anthrax or the lawyers for the guys that were in the military used to go after that if we prove that it was arbitrary and capricious it's not actually supported by the science it's not actually pre- pre- supported by the record and the facts then we can get the the approval reversed, and I I know I I know I can't be the only attorney in this country that's thinking or working on that. There have to be a bunch, especially in the military context, since it's now going to be a problem mm-hmm. for our military guys again, um, guys and gals. So I would say that there's a there's a way to deal with that. On, in a larger context, I'm not sure I'm not sure how we're going to deal with this other than individual lawsuits, which is what, what we're working on suing companies. Yeah. Well, I guess we can kind of shift gears here. There's, it's undeniable at this point, based off of what we've seen uh, our audience responding to. There's, there's another issue that weighs very heavily on their minds, and so I think it's incumbent on us to kind of keep digging into that. And your opinion, I thought, would be 
more than interesting. Um, and that's election integrity. Um, you know, in early November, you were extremely critical of those who were calling for something to be done. You cited that they didn't want to do anything about it in years prior. You applauded Senator Mitt Romney as being a real Republican statesman um, because he had come out and he had basically conceded the election over. I mean, do you still kind of stand by that characterization? Maybe elaborate a little bit more on what your thinking was at that time and how it relates to now. Sure. Well, and, and look, I, Pat, I'll tell you this. You can't box me in on anything, right? Like, yeah. I got a different... Uh, sure, I say that about Mitt Romney, but I also said the same thing about Ted Cruz, and I got into it with a whole bunch of crazy-ass liberals over the fact that I said, no, what Ted Cruz did when it comes to election integrity and trying to establish a commission to figure out what actually happened, mm-hmm. I think that that was the correct course. I think Congress should have acted and said, look, the American people are severely disenfranchised and disenchanted on a major number with what happened in this election. And we know that there are answers. No, I'm one of the biggest ones that will tell you there's absolutely voter fraud. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it rises to the level where it changes the outcomes, I, on, on any given election, I think that that's a fact-specific question. But it, it goes on everywhere, and it goes on all the time. And I'm a big believer in a technological change to that rather than some sort of, of – even a legal change to that, right? Like, I think technology is what's going to take us past that issue, right? But as far as dealing with what's going on and figuring out what's going on, I don't know that you're ever really going to be able to dig in and find. Great example here from New Mexico. So 2018, I was running Gary Johnson's campaign. I was running for AG myself. Mm-hmm. We were getting the daily rolls of the absentee voters that had voted, right? I got one that came in on the rolls that it was a Navajo from up, on, up by Cuba, New Mexico that was 100 years old. They were born in 1918, is what the record said. No, I'm sorry, it was 1900. They were born in 1900. They were 118. <laughs> right? There's no 118 year olds in, in the United States, much less in northern New Mexico. So I called Maggie. I said, Maggie, what? this can't be right. She said, Yeah, that's clearly not a, a credible vote. I said, So what are you going to do about it? Well, it's just one. What, we can't do anything about it. She said it doesn't change the outcome of the election. That's the way the laws are crafted. And they're crafted that way, I think, for fairly good reason. Um, but we have to figure out what's going on, right? Like, I don't, I don't know that I firmly believe that, um, that the election numbers would have actually changed enough to have changed the outcome of the presidential election. I just don't know. I do know that there was some. But the reason I liked Mitt Romney and the way he handled it was to say, look, the way to handle that is to go back and to actually start evaluating and do a commission, which is what Cruz is talking about and others were talking about. Let's actually get answers to these questions because the hyperbole from, from then President Trump or from the Democrats back and forth is this endless cycle. And all it is is hyperbole back and forth. They're never actually going to fix the problem. It's just a screaming point for them to claim until and the, and the next time it'll be. You know, if if Trump gets elected in 2024, it'll be the Russians again, right? Like, we just went through all this. Like, the Russians got him elected. And this time it was Dominion voting machines got President Biden elected. They're not actually going to fix it. So screaming at at Congress to fix it, I think, isn't going to work. I think you have to come up with a technological solution. Mine is blockchain voting. I'll just say it out there. I think that even with the problems for blockchain, I think that's how we change the voting system. If we go to a more secure system, we'll use technology to actually get people the ability to vote in an easier fashion that's less 
susceptible to the sticky fingers of the ballots in Rio Rivo County, New Mexico. Well, yeah, this past Wednesday, we did have on um, Aaron Clements, who was who, who's gone into kind of the statistical detail. There is this cadre of people who have done all the statistical analysis that looks at the basically the impossibilities of some of the data associated with the 2020 election. And I am very uh, sympathetic um, because I remember the, your run and Gary's run and stuff like that and how hard it was to even get the roles cleaned right or verified um so it's obvious of these to a certain cadre of people um that if you look at this data this issue with the election did kind of happen overnight right it, it, it didn't happen overnight that a, a eight a 118 year old navajo ended up remaining on the rolls but what can be done i guess to not only address the issues that we're discussing when it comes to the voter rolls which is th things i've pounded on for for months during this program and people's trust in the integrity of the system when they're looking at data from Aaron and Professor David Clements. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. And let, let me be clear. I was looking at a 118 year old Navajo that had voted, not just on the rolls, when the rolls had been cleaned up, somebody cast a ballot. Yeah, I, yeah, that's even more disturbing. No, that's right. And that's the issue, right? It's, it's a big deal. There are clear examples that voter, voter fraud occurs. Um, you know, as far as what David and Aaron are working on, I, I, you know, I think that you can look at the statistics and say that there's a problem, but again, what's, what's your solution to the problem? That's, that's what I, as, as much criticism as I catch for being like, okay, so what do you want to do? Because we're not going to, my thing was, is we're not going to roll back the election. Like the, the amount of turmoil that it would cause to then try to go back and if you can't legitimately and easily, somewhat easily prove that fraud in a number that changes the outcome, the amount of turmoil that it throws the country into is a problem. And to your point, there's no, there's actually no constitutional mechanism for doing so. There just isn't. No. Right. No, that's, you know, that's I, something that I've seen as well. That there really isn't. I mean, it, you know, my perspective a little bit on that is that you have to answer these questions. Yeah. And the biggest problem is, is it's kind of like what you're dealing with with the courts was when we looked at the challenges that were placed, and I followed that you know, pretty closely throughout those months. When you looked at the challenges that were placed, the Supreme Court failed to do its job, and then it kicked it back to Congress, and then we all know how that kind of turned into a giant fiasco. And so, it, you know, again, this is the issue, is that, is that people want to know the truth. There's, there's a lot of people out there who've work, worked very, very hard to bring that truth to the light, and the media is failing. 100% failing because they should be actually having a conversation about this instead of just spitting out their corporate narrative of there was no widespread evidence of, of, of voter fraud, you know, or anything that could have affected the election when quite frankly, we've seen it over and over again, where there were plenty of votes that were fake, that could have definitely overturned the election. So, I mean, again, no constitutional, you know, remedy that was a problem by the founders, quite frankly, and and who you know they couldn't have foreseen this whole thing with Dominion voter machines and all the hacking and everything else that goes on and and, and all the statistics that prove that there a lot of times were just more votes than voters, well, which is an obvious red flag. Look, here's the thing: the reason that the, the founders, the reason it didn't matter, right? The founders could see yeah. an election being stolen. That wouldn't be a problem, except that we have a president that has way more power than they ever thought about having. Sure. In presidency, right? Like, who cares if mm. 
if who was it that basically played golf? Was it Eisenhower? I think it was Eisenhower. Yeah, no, it was Eisenhower. Eisenhower is probably is is slowly becoming one of my most favorite presidents because he didn't right. do anything. Right. So, you, so we change change one Eisenhower out for another. Who cares if it's if we got it totally right? But you have this so this position is now so powerful, mm-hmm. and on a global scale powerful. It's it's way beyond what we could have come up with. And, and here's the thing, guys. I we reverse it. Half the country decides they don't want to be part of the country anymore, or we don't reverse it, and now half the country doesn't want to be part of the country anymore. I think we're facing we're facing something at a much bigger scale, which is, I think that we're facing the breakup of the United States. Yeah, that's where I think things are going. So I'm well, not as concerned with that particular election. I think people are kind of fed up with each other. Yeah, I mean, I've looked at it all, and even prior to the events of 2020, whether we talk about coronavirus or anything else, when I looked at what was happening in the country, it suggested to me that balkanization was a real possibility. We're seeing seeing replication already. Yeah, I mean, something that I, I, when I was kind of going through your past and reading all your posts and stalking you and coming up with how we were going to approach the show, uh, you know, it was was interesting. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I said that's kind of dyslexic as hell to do, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, it works. <laughs> but but it's like you know all these attitudes that you had about Trump. Um, you you were supportive of the impeachment after January sixth. I thought that was interesting. Um, and and on the surface, it kind of seems a lot more politicized than maybe it is. So it's like you talk about where we're being kind of thrown into this situation where the United States is breaking up. And even my own mother has called Trump the instigator in chief. Um, and, and you've said that his lack of decorum has led to a lot of problems. So I, I wanted to get you to kind of expand on that idea. Well, let's, let's back it up before the election into Corona a little bit, into the sure. COVID problem. So when I, I, even as early as, you know, last January, February or so, I was one of them that said that, look, based upon the choices, he's the guy that should have the job and he should probably have it for another four years. Mm-hmm. Do I think that there were better candidates out there? Probably none of them that were ever going to get close enough to do anything or even right. maybe be candidates at that rate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember. We remember. Yeah, we're on the same page. <laughs> Politics is a practical profession. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, right, so we get to March and and my, my problem with how he handled it is he said, well, this is just the Democrats doing this. And he's probably not wrong, right? The hyperpolitization of Corona is exactly what they wanted to do. That's how they were going to get rid of it. But instead of whining about the Democrats, and I really felt like it was whining, whining about the Democrats are just using this to pick on me. I think he should have said, look, this is a serious problem. We don't want it to damage the economy. Here's what we're going to do. And blah, 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 blah. This is how we're going to do this. Right. Like real leadership, like an Eisenhower type wartime leader. If that's what we're going to go through, that's what I was I would have loved to have seen. And it just continued. I mean, he's bombastic. He's he's a brawler. There's no doubt. But at some point, you need somebody that can rise above the the trading blows and be like, I'm not going to swing anymore. I'm just here to do a job and I'm going to do it. But how was he going to do that? How was he going to do that? The press hated his guts. It didn't matter. They were they were spinning coronavirus or COVID nineteen SARS COVID two as not a big deal when he was actually worried about it. So it, it almost seems like I understand right his decorum sucked right. Also, he handed his presidency eventually he handed his presidency over to the public health experts, which I think was the biggest mistake he made. 
but as his lightning rod. I, I, I think the excuse okay. of him just being a lightning rod, and that's why things are effed up. It's just like there's there's plenty of blame to go around. There was a hostile press no and a Democratic ma majority that was making that extremely difficult. But that, that's where the quorum comes in, right? That's that, that's where I tie this to the quorum. Right? You look at Ronald Reagan, who was despised by the media and by the by the Democrats, right? Same thing. But he had a way of addressing it. It's, and it's so and it wasn't run off the Twitter and say those bullshit Democrats are doing bullshit to me again. It was to make fun in a very professional way and to change it. And that's that's the difference in decorum. That's the difference in leadership, is the ability to take the slap from the media. And then turn around and present the face, and present the cheek to the public and say, look, the media just slapped this cheek. If you don't like the job I'm doing, slap this cheek. Not getting into a slap fight. And that's the decorum that, look, we've all said this the whole time. If somebody had taken away his Twitter account, he'd have probably been reelected. Mm -hmm. Right? So, that's a lack of decorum. Yeah, that's almost 100% true. Right? So that's, <laughs> that, that's what I'm getting at. I uh, There's a lot of his policies. I think he was dead on. I actually... Uh, Dad, you'll really appreciate this. I actually told my dad the other day, I was like, I think that what, getting to the point about balkanization as well, I think that what's happening is I think Russia and China are about to beat us, right? They're about to divide up this great power, and that way they can really, they're going to be the big big dogs on the on the stage at that point. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I will say this, and I said it to my dad, I was like, you know, I didn't really agree with most much of what he was doing as far as getting into these trade fights and these trade wars with China and Russia and what he was doing. I get the message of the madness now. I think it made more sense because I think they're a real enemy that is really taking and the more they can divide us and the more the country divides and they can divide us economically like they're doing. I think that that's where this is headed is there's, we're going to, I, that's the problem of living in New Mexico, right? We're living in the middle of the wrong part of the, of the region. That's going to go probably with California rather than going with Texas. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's the scary part about it. I mean, yeah, they've captured the financial institutions. They've captured a lot of the cultural institutions. I think the Chinese have been extremely yeah. smart long in long term, and now they have the ultimate uh, spoil. And that is, we can they can continue the Belt and Road Initiative through, um, you know, the Far Asia region by virtue of basically recognizing the Taliban, and now they have absolutely everything they need. We Versus unfortunately have become this declining empire, which I didn't like using that term, but I used to actually introduce myself a lot as someone as a veteran. It's just like, hi, I'm Thaddeus. I, I, I fought for the empire, right? Because you have to understand that's what I was. Right, right. So, yeah, well, it's... And that's, and that's, and this is all the theater, the political theater that Trump was part of, and that he could have wrote, I think he really should have stepped above. Um, and he could even still, but I just don't see him doing it, right? Like, even now, he still participates in the slap fight. And I just want to see politicians that aren't going to be in, in slap fights with each other all the time. I'm going well, to was... get paid to do it. I want my leaders to be something better. Yeah, that was something that I was frustrated about throughout all of it. It's like when I was covering the aftermath of the election and all the different protests around the country, which then, you know, eventually led me to the Capitol on January 6th and seeing it all build, seeing the energy build and everything else. That was that was something that when it just kind of petered out in the end, I looked at it and I said, OK, well, Trump got everybody nice and incited. Uh, he made them believe there was a hope. And then he just kind of quit when it got really tough. Because what? Are, uh, what and are and it's like out? it makes yeah, it makes me yeah. think of Bob Marley. I think he said something about there's, you know, the worst kind of man is one who um, makes a woman love him with no intention of ever loving her. 
and it's really kind of like that sort of a situation almost where he 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 led everyone to the precipice and then when it got ugly he just said no he got to the rubicon and he did not cross yeah and it's taken him now it's taken him now you know what it was it was seven months before he would even say ashley babbitt's name and all these other people that you know have have quite frankly they got led off the cliff and i watched it happen in live time um and and so that i mean that's problematic um but we see this even in recent polls i mean trump's support is strengthening Mm -hmm. it's strengthening since his departure what do you think you know knowing everything you know about his attitude his narcissism whatever we want to critique him on but what do you think that means for the future of america you know we talk about russia and china and how they're you know attempting to divide us and doing a really good job of it and i've said often i've said china china knows they are at war and i'm not sure the united states has figured it out yet so i mean kind of break that down in your own mind about how that plays out in in new mexico and the rest of the nation sure so let's start with new mexico because it's the same for the rest of the nation i think that the division is is what we have to be able to address Right, so there's a, a fairly famous study where they took rats in cages and they electrified the floor on the, of the cages, right? And so the rats are hopping around, they get used to it eventually. Um, they become accustomed to the shocking and they eventually become okay with it. You can take those same, a couple of those same rats and put them in the same cage together, subject them to the same electroshock. And you know what the rats do? Even though they're, they're used to it in their own cage, they turn and they immediately attack the other rat because yeah. they believe the other rat is what's hurting them. And they now have a source of that. So we're a bunch of rats in a cage that's electrified, and all they're, they've got us doing is they're hurting us, and we think that it's the other side doing it. It's the other rat, yeah. Oh, that is a great, that's a beautiful, that is a brilliant analogy, because that is absolutely true. It's collective punishment. It is It is divide and conquer. It is the other, the unvax, the vaccine hesitant, right. the whatever. They're the bad guys. They're the reason why you can't take your face face your, your face diaper off. They're the right. reason why you can't go to the state fair. They are the reason. It's almost like it's kind of you we all remember what happened to Gina Carano when she basically posted that Twitter meme that basically kind of was taking the same tack when it came to dividing people and asking the question is this like it, the Holocaust didn't happen simply because like suddenly one day everybody said you know let's go after the Juden it was a kind of a gradual thing it was it was as you said it was like you know you electrify the floor and you then you you point a finger and I see that everywhere like we're creating vaccine apartheid and um and didn't we rail against a certain type of apartheid on another continent from three four decades ago um yeah well look we we did this not that long ago in this country during world war ii with the japanese internment camps right we villainized japanese americans it's the same thing the government gets really pissed when i make that comparison too by the way that's my new favorite thing to do is compare yeah, this yeah. case to Korematsu. It's the exact same thing. It's not different. It's not disrespectful to Japanese Americans to point out that what was done to them was wrong. What you're doing to these people is wrong. And guess who's doing the wrongness? It's the governor. It's her mm-hmm. staff. It's these people. And I don't look. Here's the thing, guys. We're rats in a cage. I don't know how we get to the point where that's not the reality. I don't know that there's a way to turn the electricity off at this point that the government has as their power. That's why I say it's balkanization. I, 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 we look at Texas. I went, we went down there just to escape and get some freedom right before the, all this nonsense started again. Mm-hmm. You go down in Central Texas and float the river and enjoy life for a little bit where there's freedom. I, I look at Texas and the Republic of Texas looks like a country I would rather live in 
than the Socialist Republic of New Mexico or whatever the regional name is for this part of the country. It's really very scary. And I'm worried. I can't remember which FEMA district we are. I, it, it's District 13, 19. Yeah, right. So that, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Is that I want to go live around. I want to go someplace. My parent, my, we talked about my dad when we first started. He's off in, uh, he, they're, they're, they're buying a ranch in Wyoming. They're getting a place where they're going to have their ranch here and a ranch there so they can bug out. If they need to go someplace where people aren't going to take over their lives and put things into their bodies they don't want, they can go. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I, I have this conversation way more than I ever thought I would in my life where I'm like, look, this is 1984. You, either, you can either join up, be part of the Ministry of Truth, and join the party, or you can be the proletariat working for the government. Or you can go someplace where that's not the form of government. But those really kind of seem to be our only options anymore. But, Brother Aubrey, did you hear they increased our razor blade ration? <laughs> or no, it was, it was our chocolate ration by 15%. But do you have any razor blades, brother? <laughs> no, but here, to, that point, to that point, she's now talking about a UBI for New Mexico. Right? That's a yeah. legitimate thing. That she, we've got an $8 billion surplus coming from oil and gas that she's going to kill and get rid of. Yeah. Now she's saying, well, we'll just turn that into a UBI. Yeah. All right, we can afford that. Well, we're seeing that all over the place. I know that California has a UBI now. In San Francisco, they're they're now paying people to not murder people. I don't mean to laugh. This stuff is morbid <laughs> and like, like Babylon Bee-like. But I mean, it's just like we will give you money, bro, if you just don't gun down your, your fellow your fellow human being. I think we should try it in Albuquerque. Well, yeah, we don't don't get us started on how much of a <laughs> dumpster fire Albuquerque is and how they're <laughs> probably going to reelect Keller. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I think. Right. Well, we appreciate you coming on. We've taken plenty of your time, I think, at this point. So. We'll, we'll let you get back to work if that's what you want. Uh, is there anything else you want to leave people with? How can they contact you? How can they help you fight this stuff to the bitter yeah. end? We have an email that we're directing people to. If you're one of the people that has um, has, has got a problem with an employer that's either forcing you to be vaccinated or they're terminating you because you weren't, or you're one of the healthcare workers, it's warba.llp at gmail.com. You, my phone numbers are all over the internet. You can try and call me on that. I've basically gotten to the point where I just refuse to answer it now because it's just off the charts with the number of people that are having to call me. So I'm telling people to call the or to send the email. Give me your contact information. Tell me what's going on, and and we'll see what we can do to help you. Um, again, that's Whiskey Alpha Romeo Alpha. No, I can't. I messed that up. Whiskey Alpha Romeo Bravo Alpha. Dot Lima Lima Paul at gmail.com. Great. Really appreciate it. Thanks again. Baca, what are we doing here? Hello. Good afternoon. Uh, sure. Good afternoon, Baca. Oh, I, of- I, I didn't want to I didn't want to just oh. gloss over the fact your your intro today was and in that it was good. Yeah, I felt like good. Thad's intro was really yeah, on point it was today. Especially good. Um, I mean, you know, I know I, I mean look, look, I I know Blair and uh he's been yeah, he has been for as long as I've known him. You love or hate him, a thorn in the side of the right people, and for a very long time. And so, yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's a little bit more enthusiasm probably in that than probably needed to be done. So yeah, no, it was uh, good. Yeah, yeah. It was very good. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to say that. Thank you. I was, I, appreciate I, I enjoyed it. I don't get to see it until we go live. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, oh, but I like, <laughs> I like what you're doing with it, Baca. I just, I just want yeah. to tell you that. Awesome. Well, you. you know, thank I've you, got a. 
set him up so you guys can knock him down, as they say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so September 12th, uh, which is a week from today at 1 p.m., we will have Louis Sanchez on uh, as our guest. Um, I don't know a ton about Louis. Um, just the, the uh, yeah, little bit I'm, basics from Facebook. So I'm really interested to see you guys interview him. He's a really nice guy. I met him in Amarillo, had a pretty decent conversation with him that stayed off the record. Um, so it'll be good to get a conversation on the record because we like that. Uh, yeah, I, I love getting these conversations on the record. I think a lot of them are good for posterity. Um, it, you know, I appreciated a lot of the, the guests today. Uh, what he had to say yeah. specifically with regards to decorum. It's very easy to get sucked into the populist uh, candidate mm-hmm. uh, and get rabble rouse. And I, you know, I, I came around to liking president Trump quite a bit after not like, isn't that what we all say? Like, oh, I am yeah, fucking like him at all. Much. And no, yeah, it was never Trump when it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. See, um, exactly. But um, no, I, you know, I think that resonated with me. That's how my dad always talks about. It. It's like, it's fine. Like there's a lot I like about president Trump, but, Sometimes I think a lot of the problems we have, it's not just him. It's all of us. You know, I think a lot of the problems we have are you and me, guys like you and me, Sean, uh, you know, people that have probably had a history on the Internet of being kind of asshole when there's another way to be. And we, yeah. well, we certainly didn't help our situation any at all. Now everybody's yeah. hyper intense. Yeah. I feel yeah like. When we yeah. talk about decorum or all these other things, you know, the only encouragement That's... I can give to people, New Mexicans, Americans in general is try to be better it doesn't matter if you think you're perfect chances are you're not so just always try always improve we are all sinners everyone i uh i mean as much as i would like to as as much as i wanted to kind of disagree with blair on the decorum and the uh, stuff like that at the end of the day it it it, i mean he did fall into the trap right he basically they they, you know the, the media knew how to basically uh poke and prod that bear well it was the same yeah. yeah, yeah, and it, 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 it was mutual, right? I mean, they, you know, everyone suffered from TDS, even Orange Man himself. We're still uh, suffering. Oh, dude, yeah. we are, I wish we're still suffering. And the thing I wanted to actually harp on that I've harped on in other programs before is the problem with Trump, by say, wasn't primarily decorum, is that he did not know how to rule. Build That's power. it. He did not know how to wield power responsibly. He did not know how to use better decorum to wield power responsibly well and he dealt really with snakes in his mist that he should have ratted out really really early that he didn't rat out to the end and turning over your presidency to your public health officials because you were no offense you were bullied into it is why you were you were not the commander-in-chief today which brings up a great way for us to like try to end on a happy note (laughs) let's bring it back Okay, which, which, you know, with everything that's gone on with Backstreet Grill, again, I wanted to extend my personal thanks to Cordova, the rest of the people that were involved in that. I think it was the right stand to make. And and remember, don't turn your responsibility over to the public health department. You got to take responsibility in your own life. You've got to take responsibility for your own actions and you've got to take responsibility for your children's freedom. And now's the time to do it. That's pretty much all I've got. Buck, I'm out of here. I'm running. Bye, everybody. Yeah, Love you. He's going to run. Uh, do you want to shill anything, Thad? Are we good? Do you, do you... you can do this if you want. Guys, we go. get your Thad's glowy thing box. Hold on. Where's the? Where's my banner that I built? Yeah, I got uh, it. Thad's got glowy it. box thingy. Yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can be the proud owner of a Thad's glowy box thingy, too. Just... Go on over to Amazon and get a Thad's glowy box thingy. 
Yay. Okay. No, you guys should get one. It's they're neat and you'll be supporting a good cause, which is us being able to eat. It's neat. I like that's I, I, I unintentionally rhyme yeah, all the time. Look, he's back. Eat. He tried I'm to run. I liked it. I buy him. But... <laughs> There's still eight viewers. We're still doing this. I feel like a Jerry Lewis telethon. Yes. Remember those things? Are those still a thing? All right. All right. Uh, well, I guess we'll just take it on, um, you know, home. Where's the video? We play the outro. You know, the outro. No. No. I can't find it. No.